it's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terrence McCauley. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. My guest today is a returning guest. Lisa Tolls is an award-winning Amazon best-selling crime novelist. Her latest thriller, Salt Island, is available wherever books are sold. Lisa, welcome back to the show. We really appreciate you having here. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here again. Of course. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Salt Island? Okay, so Salt Island is book two in a three book series that I've written. And I want to say too that this is the only series I've ever written. So this is really my first foray into um, into serial fiction. And I'm really excited about it because with a series, and Terrence, you know this, you have, you have multiple series. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the story deepens and the character um, mythology also deepens. And so our, our job is to kind of get people more interested in the backstory of the character and why they're doing what they're doing. And so that's what I got to do in this book. So I'm, I'm excited mm-hmm. about it. The main character, Mari, she, right. uh, she, she and her partner, Derek, they're each investigating two separate cases. So two, um, two almost divergent cases and that have nothing to do with each other. And like most thrillers, they kind of come together at the end and you find out there is um, something that links them. And the case for Mari that she's working on is a case of corporate espionage. And okay. in the in the course of investigating that, it pulls her into a painful memory from her past that she hasn't thought about in 15 years, and she would honestly rather just not think about at all. So right. it's a it's a friend of hers from college that's bringing her in to investigate a case of corporate espionage where one of their clients is being targeted in an IPO deal. So this is kind of a this is a, a business owner, a CEO that's done some dirty dealing and someone knows about it and someone is going to expose him. And okay. she was brought in to investigate that. And with any kind of I- IPO deal, you know, bringing a startup into um, into public trading, it's it's high stakes, man, the impact. Very. of I mean, We're talking sometimes billions of dollars. So there, there's a lot going on there. And then in the case that her partner is investigating, that's something completely different. There are two teenage boys that were killed on a farm. And he was brought in by a former client of his to just kind of investigate and work with the family to try to see what happened. And so that's mm-hmm. the case of eco-terrorism involving oil companies and fracking. And so it seems like they have nothing to do with each other, but they do. They do. By the end of the book, they, they yeah. certainly do. Now, you've written a lot of books before this one. How many have you written so far? Salt Island is number 10. Number 10. Number 10. Yeah. Now, you've had a lot of standalones before. What was it that made you want to try a series at this point? Um, it was really my husband kind of saying, what are you waiting for? Just do it. I, I, had been, I had been wanting to write a series because honestly, all I read are series. Right. And, and I didn't know how to do it. And there weren't a lot of, there weren't a lot of resources available at that time, you know, five years ago or six years ago 
to teach someone how to how to actually write a series. And so my husband encouraged me to sort of study the, the books and the authors that I love, the experts, and, and watch what they do and find the formula and understand how much you bring in from book one into book two. You don't want to be redundant, but you want to give enough right. so that people can sort of see the progression and see the thread. And it's it's hard. I I I, I sometimes I don't know how much is too much or if it's not quite enough. I mean, each book has to kind of, what's interesting about your books, Terrence, is I noticed with um, with one of your series on your website, you indicate that each of your books can serve as a standalone, but it's still right. the same set of characters. And I think that's a great, uh, that that's a great compromise. Right, yeah, it can be. I mean, for me, what I do is I just have one family that was a wealthy family in the 1800s, late 1800s. And they wind up being the impetus, if you will, for all of the action throughout all of my books. But it's not Game of Thrones. It's not that they don't play a central role in it, but it's like an Easter egg for the uh, audience who's uh, been kind enough to read all of my stuff. So it sounds like that you have taken that kind of uh, philosophy to heart in this particular work. Kind of. I mean, each of them... Uh, I mean, you know, we can't expect that a reader is going to say, oh, Salt Island, that's interesting. I want to read that. No, I'm going to mm -hmm. go back and read book one first. They don't do that. I don't do no. that. So we have to assume that they're just going to read whatever they want to read. And maybe they'll go back to get kind of, you know, like the deeper story. But um, right. but what does really deepen in this book, and it's going to in book three, too, called Switch, is um, kind of the the underlying mythology of the story is Mari's father. Mari used to be a CIA operative, and okay. a CIA analyst actually. And her father um, is a spy, and he's been missing for a number of years. And she's trying to find him again. She wants to pull together the fragmented threads of her family, whatever that is. And she mm -hmm. she's desperate to find him. So she didn't find him in book one. In book two, she in the beginning of the book, she finds an indication that he's in the British Virgin Islands and she's there. She's on her way there. She's going to ask around and show his picture and do everything she can to to try to find out what he's if he's there, what he's doing there and what he wants from her. I mean, she feels kind of played by him. You know, she gets there and she's like, all right, I'm here. What do you want from me? Why are you summoning right. me? Well, obviously don't want to be a part of my life. So what do you want? And she's kind of pissed about it. So that's that's what kind of propels the underlying story is abandonment and loss and betrayal and those kind of emotional pieces of, of the human experience that we all experience, right? I mean, we're all dealing right. with kind of topical drama in our lives. But un underlying those, we have these, we, we have these kind of broken threads of relationships that we're trying to reconcile and you know it, it's it's really kind of bewildering and baffling but that's what makes us interesting as human beings right the things in our life right. that don't line up perfectly the things that are like this it, it makes people interesting and, and that's what gives us that sense of story right and that's what helps uh, bring readers back to a series or to even an individual standalone novel because everybody can relate to something like that uh, mm -hmm. And it's funny, too, because uh, recently I've been thinking about people saying, oh, I have a dysfunctional family. There's a dysfunctional family. I don't think of a single family that is functional, you know, every, because a family at its core is just a cluster of individuals and individuals are complicated. They have problems. So 
you know, I, I mean, it, it happens in all homes. So I don't think that any family is necessarily dysfunctional. It's probably just the family. I, and I don't even necessarily think that dysfunctional is always bad. I mean, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I, I think if you come from a dysfunctional family, it doesn't mean that you didn't have a good childhood or there weren't elements of your, of your past that sure. you treasure and that are memorable and that you carry with you. So yeah, I totally agree with you. Yes. And when you were creating this character, these two characters in your first book, did you envision the series at this point? Uh, or were you, so you, you had your right, your eye on doing a series with these particular characters. What, uh, yes. what was it about them that uh, made you want to explore their backgrounds and, and their evolution further? Um, it was really the way they are together. You know, we, we, create, we create characters on paper and at some point they kind of come alive and start talking right. to each other and start talking to us. And that's that, that's that sort of schizophrenic surrender that happens when you make up stuff. You know, I mean, you're, we're, we're creating the framework in the house and then what they do is really sort of up to them and how they are together. A lot of people have told me that they're funny. Mar Mari right. and Derek, I mean, they're super opposite too. Um, and and I think their sort of dynamic of how they worked uh, together, that also strengthened my idea that hmm, I think this this could possibly be be a series. I don't think there's enough there to necessarily take it into like um, longer than three books. Three books feels good. I've written the third right. one. It's just a first draft, so it's it's not good. It's not publishable yet, but I have written it, and it does kind of bring some conclusion to the Mari relationship with her father. And to what happens with her business, and this one, this next one is going to be a techno thriller. So I'm kind of excited okay. to sort of start digging into that. That might be out next summer. I don't know. I haven't talked to my publisher about it yet, but we'll see how she feels. Right. Yeah. And that's what that's good because you know usually an arc can take should take about three books, and then if you want to do another three books after that, uh, you know, even with the same characters, that seems that, that seems to be what readers like the most. They'll follow it for three books. And then, all right, now there's another one with these characters that can be another three book arc as well. Anything mm -hmm. beyond that, it kind of feels like you're trying to stretch it a little bit. Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And especially because, you know, I, I don't mind admitting I'm, I'm new to writing series. I'm certainly not new to writing fiction, but I haven't, I, I haven't written um, more than just this one series. So, I mean, I, I want to keep honing my craft and I want to keep reading series so I can get better at it. And there's one that I finished um, a new book called Codex um, that again is just a kind of raw first draft, but I'm thinking of that character as maybe a series, maybe another three book series. So we'll see. It's amazing, isn't it? Once you dip your foot into the series pool, how your brain start your creative brain starts working differently, isn't it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and I've had uh, I've had readers tell me that they like the idea of learning about one character and then kind of learning more about them in the next one. So based on the reader feedback that I've gotten on Goodreads and TikTok and the social platforms that I'm on, I'm lucky that I'm cultivating some reader relationships. Um, based on that feedback, I think people want to read series they they want to kind of meet a character that they're at home with and that they know and that they expect and understand and they want right. to read about their broken lives and broken dreams and transformation because like we we're saying that's just the human experience that we're all going through and i think it's more relatable for them 
It is, yeah. And, and readers certainly do enjoy reading more about uh, relatable characters than the James Bond type or somebody who is unattainable. They, they actually want to be able to relate to the person that they're reading about. Yeah. And I love James Bond, but yes, oh, exactly. Yeah. They, yeah. He's got his own uh, his own milieu, and that's fantastic. But we're not writing that kind of stuff, so uh, we're, we're we're taking a different tactic. And there's plenty of uh, material to go around. You said earlier that you your readership has really influenced you in terms of the series and uh, you know what they want to see from these characters. How has reader feedback in any form helped you with your overall approach to writing, your writing style, things like that? They're, they're really my my barometer of how I'm doing. I, mm -hmm. I, I mean, not, that's not to say that if someone leaves, um, leaves a terrible one-star review and says, everything about this book is awful, I'm not necessarily going to quit writing from that. But I mean, I, I am going to, um, you know, kind of look at what the feedback is and really consider it. I mean, like readers are why we're writing books. I mean, so if, if people are saying, we'd like to see more of these types of books, or we didn't like this as, as much, but we like this, that's definitely going to influence me. You know, I mean, I, I always right. have, I always have some book in progress that I can kind of use that feedback in. So yeah, I think I think it's critically important. And let me ask you that question, Terrence. How do you use that reader feedback for your books? Because you have uh, you have these two tracks of westerns and crime novels, and I'm sure your readership is different for each of them. Right, it is. It's and it's also amazing how much they blend together too. Because people mm -hmm. will say, "Oh, well, I like westerns, but I also read something else," and so mm -hmm. then they'll give my crime stories a shot, and then they'll they'll see some of the characters that were mentioned in the western. Who are old people now or famous dead people now and they say oh yeah i remember that one and it's kind of their reward for following mm. along the way and then mm. you know my techno thrillers have gotten people who told me and it was amazing it was before smartphones came out and i described a smartphone and sympathy for the devil and people said there's no way that's ever going to happen that's that's 20 years down the line you're never going to be able to have the phone recognize your face or your thumbprint and <laughs> open up and they said that's ridiculous and now, you know, look at what's happened. So it's all Funny. about uh, looking forward toward the what could possibly be in the future if mm -hmm. you're going to be writing something like that. And in the very mm -hmm. near future, not flying cars or anything, but making sure that it's uh, it's well within the scope of, of believability. Because you don't want to waste so much time, especially since you're going to be tackling a techno thriller in your next one. You don't want to spend so much time explaining the tech that it slows down the story and you lose people or they skip, That's God forbid. That's such a great point. Yes, exactly. I, I think there's a certain slice of reader that really likes um, tech thrillers. I've written a couple of uh, tech, tech, techie type of thrillers, but I, I think you're right. I think when you start describing the tech to an extent that it's slowing down the movement and the action, I have to constantly ask myself, how much is an average reader going to be interested in this? Right. You know, I mean, like it can't be so topical that you gloss over it because then people that are experts in that field are going to think, well, she obviously doesn't know anything about this tech and that's why she wasn't writing about it. And that might not be the case, but finding that balance is is tough. Right. Yeah. And, and the other thing, too, with technical thrillers, it's always key to avoid the stereotypical uh, character who's a nerd, unrelatable to awkward, unrelatable to anybody else, and they just but they are very good in the computer. It's fine, but it's it's been done a million times, and 
it's mm-hmm. it's always better if you can find a fresh way to uh, introduce that kind of technology. Yep. That that will help keep everything uh, keep everything fresh. So you said that you're currently you've got the first draft of the next novel done. Do you have a title? Um, the next one in the series is called Switch, and I have been um, with this publisher putting out the ENA investigations. That's what these books are: Salt Island and Hot House and Switch. I've been putting mm-hmm. those out in June, and then they've been publishing standalone thrillers in November. So on okay. November. November 30th of this year, I have a new standalone thriller coming out called Terror Bay. <clears throat> and then I think Switch will be um, probably next uh, next summer sometime. Next summer. That, okay. Yeah. Yep. That's excellent. Now, you're, you're very active on social media. You're very active on your website. What are some of the best ways that people can follow you? Um, on Linktree, Linktree is a wonderful site that basically catalogs all of your social media sites on Linktree. I'm linktree.authortolls. Um, okay. And if, if, if someone has a question and wants to ask me about something directly, they can also email me. I'm open to that. My email is lisamarietolls at gmail.com. My website okay. is lisatolls.com. And there's a contact link on there too. And I, I, would, I would love to hear from anyone who has a question about um, about any of my books, or if they're just getting started on their writing journey, I that's one of my favorite things to do is to um, is to bring um, support to novice writers. I absolutely love that. Yeah, we we definitely all need more writers who are willing to do that. Um, a lot of you do an awful lot of your marketing as well. How do you strike a balance? And this will be the last question. How do you strike a balance between your writing and doing the marketing? I mean, do you budget your time? How do you, because it's very easy to get lost in all of the possibilities of marketing and graphics and stuff like that, and then lose track of your core skill, which is in this instance, being a writer. So how do you, how do you handle both worlds? It's such an important question, Terrence. Um, I I think it's something that every writer struggles with. I just made a video about this on TikTok, not because I'm an expert and I have it figured out, but because I don't have it figured out. I was asking kind of feedback um, from other writers and readers. It's very hard. I I think um, sometimes it works that I'm really organized and I say, okay, this week is going to be just uh, editing this book and I'll save the marketing for the weekend. And then other times it's like every day, I do this for an hour and this for another hour. And it's it's very hard kind of the way those fold together sometimes. And sometimes it works and I feel very organized and efficient. Other times, not so much. And I try to time I try to time it according to my releases. So I did a lot of marketing leading up to June 7th. That's when Salt Island was released. And now I can Mm -hmm. kind of back off a bit and regroup and work on my editing projects. And I'm just starting to write something brand new right now that's sort of coming to me. And But then as we get closer to November, to the next release, there'll be a lot of marketing for that too. So it's easy to get overwhelmed. But I I think for writers that are are balancing these things, you're the boss of it. You know, I mean, you can Mm -hmm. decide. I have an hour available. I'm going to spend it on this, you know, and you can be strategic about your limited time and energy just to make something that's sustainable. Right. Yeah. I always try to tell people to establish clear goals of what they want to accomplish for that week. So that way, 
you don't get caught up too much and lose an entire couple of days to the marketing stuff, but you balance it all out so that it's less stress and you don't feel like you need to uh, get everything done at the last minute. Yep. Yep. I agree. Well, thank you very much for being here with us, Lisa. We really appreciate it. And as always, our audience has learned quite a bit uh, learning about your process. And I know you'll be back in November when, uh, when you have your new book out. Thank you so much, Terrence. I'm so delighted to be here and talk to you and your audience again. And I love this podcast and thank you for all you do. Oh, thank you very much. And ladies and gentlemen, this has been yet another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We'll see you next time, everybody. You have been listening to Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes with host Terrence McCauley on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.